Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. We are delighted to have you here for worship. Old friends and new, please pick up the friendship pad and pass it to everyone in your pew. Please sign your name so we are aware of your presence and we can all greet one another by name at the conclusion of worship. If you wish to talk to a Stephen minister confidentially, the Stephen minister on duty today is Alice Swetman, and she is available in the narthex wearing a special name tag. Take a look at the bulletin for details of upcoming events and additional announcements. Please join us for refreshments in Fellowship Hall at the end of worship. We will begin our service today with the prelude. Oh, with the hymn sing. Excuse me. No way of knowing that. Excuse me. Sorry, that was. I should should change that for you. Thank (laughs) you, Barbara. I'm sorry, I forgot. Good morning, friends. I know I had already encouraged somebody to have a hymn for me. Archie, do you remember what you wanted from last week? This is my father's world. 370. We'll sing first and last verse. 370. Thank you, Archie, for remembering. Well, it's first and last because there's only two verses. How's that? That was so much fun. I see two hands, so I'm going to honor both Helen Harper and Bo Keller, and we'll catch Miss Steve. Oh, you're not going to be here next week, are you? I know you're traveling. We'll see. Hold on a second. Mrs. Harper, what would you like, please? Number 41. We're all worship the king. Let's do first and last. Let's worship the king. 41, please.
Bo, what did you have in mind, sir? 187. 187. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Shall we do first and last for that? Sounds good. I saw your hand. What would you like, my dear? How about 840? 840. What are we looking at? Oh, absolutely. It is well with my soul. Let's do first and last of that.
great choices, everyone. Please, please let us know what you want for next week because we have a wonderful worship service in front of us. Please join me in our responsive call to worship. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Friends, please join me in the prayer of the day. We will boast of your presence among us, O God, and magnify your holy name. You still the avenger. You bring low the mighty. You exalt the humble and forget not your own. We are privileged to be your children and through Christ seek to honor you in all that we do. Hear our praises which we raise before you in gratitude for your gracious providence. Amen. And God's gracious providence includes a fulfillment of the promise that is given to us in Scripture that even though we are persons who make mistakes, who fall short of the glory of God, even with all of our imperfections, 
God loves what God has made. And so with that confidence, let us together use this printed prayer to bring forth our confessions. God of freedom and gracious justice, free us from our own captivity to sinful behavior. Prisoners of self-interest, we disregard neighbors. We bolster our own egos at others' expense. When slander is rampant, we seldom stop it. When rumors are rife, we seek not the source. Help us check our destructive ways, lest we consume one another, and encourage us to use our free will to make more loving choices. Hear the good news, friends. The fruit of the Spirit, peace, joy, love, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, humility, and self-control. We who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Therefore, we are able to live in love and bear one another's burdens. Believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Friends, I know that you know that you're in for a real treat today because you see Jeff Tyler sitting in the chancel, and he's going to give us yet again his wonderful teaching and preaching, and I'm so delighted and pleased that you say yes to these invitations. Jeff, welcome. And I know that a few people have shown up, Kim Tender, because Harold is here to sing this morning. So Harold, we're so grateful that you are bringing your stellar stentorian voice to us. Thank you very much, sir. Friends, we have an epistle lesson that has been chosen by Jeff to complement his main teaching text. And we're going to hear from Paul writing to the Philippians. You know this is his joy letter, but he also has some things that he wants to assure that we understand. That joy comes with hard work, with pressing on. And so I want you to hear God's encouraging word to each one of us. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. My friends, this is the encouraging word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now I want to encourage Paige Thompson to come forward as I encourage the rest of our young people to come forward this morning. We've got quite an opportunity for you to hear from Paige's experience.
tonight. Good morning, friends. Welcome, welcome, Good welcome. Good to see you. Okay. So I, I, wanna, I have a couple questions for Paige, but first I want to set us up so we understand why we're talking about inviting Paige forward. Have any of you ever had a goal? Ms. Lehman, have you had a goal? What, what's your goal, Ms. Lehman? To read as many books as you could. All the teachers out there are going, wow, that's great. <laughs> Well done. Anybody else have a goal? What's your goal, Wes? Play as many video games as I want. Play as many video games as you want. That's an honest goal. I think you're going to reach that goal. <laughs> Paige, have you ever had a goal? Yes. Paul had a goal, didn't he? Yes. So what was one of your goals when you started out on your first mission trip? My first mission trip, so I was in seventh grade, mm-hmm. so I think that's about 13, um, I, my goal was to go and help people with whatever talents and skills I had at that age. And what did you end up doing in that seventh grade mission trip? I ended up working at a nursing home, and I ended up making crafts and just talking to people that were living there and spreading God's word. Excellent. Now, let's fast forward to this spring. Yes. Where did you go this spring? I went to Haiti this spring, which is just a little bit south of Florida. Um, and it's the poorest country in our hemisphere. And I set up a clinic with some of my classmates for five days, and we took care of people there, and we gave them health care. Wow. That's, that's quite a difference from a seventh-grade goal yes. to a person who's studying medicine at the University of Buffalo's yes. goal. How about all the way along? Did you ever miss a mission trip any of those years in between? I did. One year when I was uh, graduating high school, uh-huh. I did not go on a mission trip. <gasps> How'd that feel? Felt kind of empty. Why? Because I had done this almost every summer, uh-huh. and it feels really good to give back. I think when you go to mission trips, you think about how much you're giving them, but uh-huh. you don't really ever think about what you get in return. And that's something that has always kept me very humble and in tune with my purpose here on earth. What a great connection. Mm-hmm. Now, how about, um, was there one story from this spring's mission trip to Haiti that really sticks with you? Yeah. So I was taking care of a family. Uh, there was a girl, a big sister, and then two little brothers. Mm-hmm. And the one was eight. Mm-hmm. And he was malnourished, which means he didn't have enough food to um, really live like he should. And so, um, unlike all of you, his mommy and daddy didn't give him any food. He had to go out and find food. And there's no Wegmans, there's no Tops, there's no, nothing that he can go to and find food. He has to go and look in nature for food. And it was really difficult for him to get the nutrients he needed. Mm-hmm. And that was sad for me because there's nothing I can do as a medical student to help him with that. Um, but what I did was I just talked to him and I smiled and we gave him a balloon animal. And that ended up giving him some hope. And I think that's something to remember as you get older is that you don't even just have to give someone something so concrete, like you don't have to go build something, you don't have to give them a toy, you can just give them your time and your love and your smiles, and that does help them. It's a ministry of presence in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways, isn't it? Yes. Wow, that's amazing. So what do you want to tell these goal-getters, including Miss Lehman, who's going to read all the books she can this summer? I want you all to know that no matter how old you are, there's always something that you can give to God's people. You all have very special talents, and you all have very special gifts, and 
share those with the children of God all across the universe when you wow. get older. Even Miss Lily, when she was ringing the bell this morning, yes. was, that, was that her helping out? That is you helping out. So no matter what our ages or whatever our different gifts might be, we've got something to give, don't yes. we? That's how we press on to the goal. What do you think, guys? Are you guys ready to press on towards the kingdom? Do you think we can pray Paige to her next mission trip, wherever that might be? No. <laughs> that was mine, yes, okay. Let's pray anyways. God in heaven, we do give you thanks for this great day, for God's gifts that are in, in each one of us, and for the goals that we can set with those gifts, to share whatever we have with God's children around us. And now send us out with joy so that we might continue to enjoy the summer and share that joy. We pray this in confidence in your son's mighty and saving name. Amen. Have a great time in the kingdom. Paige, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And while they're heading out, I want to invite our triennium team to come forward because we get to commission them. You get to do a different mission trip from what we just described with Paige. So I see Bachman's, and I see Mr. Peterson, and I see Craig and Tyler, all five of these very handsome gentlemen. You guys are going to have a rollicking good time. Would you come on all the way up so that people can see you? Adam, where were you for this Boy Scout camp? Uh, Babcock Hovey for two weeks. You must be stronger than you were than you began, right? Way to go. So, friends, you're going to Triennium, which is where? Indiana, right? And why is it held in Indiana every year? Maybe some of our veterans can tell you. That's where it started. That's where it started. Pretty interesting. And, Mr. Kunkel, I think you've been to the most of them. How many, sir? At least four? Are we up to five already? Okay, so three years, triennium. What is this thing, triennium? Anybody? Excellent. So you're going to be inspired to come back and do more of these great things, right? Absolutely. Incredible. Can't wait. So we have some questions for you. Who is your Lord and Savior, young men? Do you trust in him, do you? Excellent. Will you promise with all that God has given to you to share that confidence with others, will you? Excellent. Congregation, would you please stand? Do we, the members of the First Presbyterian Church of Pittsford, entrust these young men with the mission of Jesus Christ, do we? And will we promise with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength to pray for them as they enjoy this week of triennium, will we? Excellent. You may be seated, friends. May you each have a stellar experience. Come back to us with stories and enthusiasm. Of course, enthusiasm is the, taken from the Greek word that means to be full of God, to enthuse, and theos. And so we wish you the best, and thank you very much. Congratulations. We have a treat, friends. Harold is going to sing for us what I'm about to read. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, that, I, that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
there are two things that are guaranteed to make me cry. One will be my daughter's weddings. The other is listening to beautiful music that glorifies God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you, Harold, and I'm glad this is the only one where I'm I'm going to be right after you. I'm glad all the rest of them, you come after me because <laughs> I find a hard time holding it together. Our text this morning is taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 and then 58 and following. And it came to pass when the days were approaching for him to be taken up that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. And as they were going along the road, a certain man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of heaven have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, allow me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say goodbye to those who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one who has put his hand to the plow and yet continues to look behind him is well suited for the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord.
Thank you, Carrie, for the opportunity to share this morning and, and um, thank all of you for coming. I know you're here for Harold, but you get to see me anyway. And um, it's wonderful. There is no uh, greater joy for me than to share scriptures with you. So we're talking about a subject of difficult decisions. All of us deal with difficult decisions. Before we do, though, I'd like to um, kind of set the scene around difficult decisions. Recently, my brothers and I uh, went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to visit my mother. Uh, One night while we were there, we went to see uh, the Pirates of Penzance, because my mother is a big fan of Gilbert and Sullivan. And uh, as many of you know, that's a, a, a comic opera, if you will, first performed in the late 18. 70s, so and it's, so it's all it's all singing, it's all music. So my brothers and I are sitting there. My mother's enjoying every bit of it. We get to the intermission. One of my brothers looks over at me and he says, "I didn't understand one word of the entire first act of the scene." So, so during the intermission, we read the program about what. Actually, the Pirates of Penzance was all about. Oh, that's what we just watched. That's what we were just hearing. And then we could at least get an idea of what the second act was all about. And I thought to myself, I think sometimes that's the way we find the Bible. We go to the Bible, we read something, we read Old Testament, whatever, and we look at it. We get done reading and go, I have no idea what that is talking about because we don't have a scope of what's the story. So I thought it might be helpful if I were to give you the, the basically one-minute story of the Bible in a moment. We basically have a few main characters. So if we were having our program, our characters would be God, mankind, the Messiah, the cross, and resurrection. That would be our backdrop. So Act 1... Act 1 opens with God, who is the rightful ruler, the creator of the heavens and the earth, designing a world, designing people. Everything is right, but Act 1 ends with man's rebellion, the fall of mankind. Act 2 opens with the promise of a Messiah. God promised all the way from Genesis 3.15, and basically the rest of the Old Testament is the record of God working with people to preserve seed to bring about the Messiah one day. And the Act 2 ends with not just the exile of his people, who were Israel at that time, but actually them coming back together. And then there's an intermission. The intermission in the Bible is about 400 years between Malachi and the Gospel of Matthew. Act 3 is the Messiah. It's the record of the Messiah, his birth, his life, his ministry, and it would end with his death on the cross because the cross is the sacrifice that needed to be made to restore mankind. Act four would be resurrection. It begins with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and at some point there will be resurrection for all the rest of us and lots of things in between at the end times. 
That's the basic story of the Bible, and we fit. Where are we? We're in the resurrection part. We're actually in the part he's already accomplished on the cross, the sacrifice for us, and one day we will be resurrection with the restoration of the heaven and the earth, a new heaven and the earth, and things will be as they were when God designed them way back at the beginning. That's the story, and we're a part of it. Where I think that's helpful is it will help us in our text this morning understand this, you know, the record in Luke is Act 3. So we're reading a record from Act 3. Remember that we're actually a part of Act 4. And so we'll look at the text in Luke chapter 9, and then we'll, we'll look at some application for us from the book of Philippians. Okay. So it says that as they were going along the road, a certain man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, we're talking about decisions. We're talking about difficult decisions. This is a record of three men, and, uh, and they're grouped together because of similar uh, incidents. One man says he's going to follow Jesus. One man who says he wants to bury his father before following Jesus and a man who says he wants to say goodbye to his family before following Jesus. By the way, the first two of these men are also found, the records are found in the book of Matthew, but the last last incident is not found in the book of Matthew. It's very likely that these incidents, uh, the two men in Matthew and the the incidents in Luke, are, are similar Records, even though they happened at different times. In Matthew, the ministry, it's earlier in Jesus' ministry. This is later in his ministry. But it's very unlikely that there were two men walking along the road asking the same question at two different times. What's more likely is that the last man, which we're going to read about, the man where Jesus talks about the plow, actually happened on this road uh, that they were in in the book of Luke, but that the other two were added in here because they're similar in nature because they teach us and share with us something about making decisions. Now, one of the other things that's, that's helpful, a couple of things about this record. One of them is that each one of these men, there are biblical customs that are helpful to know to really understand what Jesus is saying. Otherwise, it's kind of difficult and going, what does he say? Why would Jesus answer that way to those questions? But there's customs to look at that we can briefly look at that can help us in the understanding. The other thing that's interesting is that in all three cases, do we ever know what decision any of the three men made? We don't. Actually, we don't. The Bible doesn't tell us what decision they made. What it tells us is that each had a decision to make, and Jesus helped them with the decision. We really don't know what decision that they made. And that's helpful to us, and we'll see that in the records. Okay. So, this first man, first man says, they're going along the road, a certain man says to him, I'll follow you wherever you'll go, or wherever you go. Jesus' response was, the fox, Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of heaven have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Okay. What is he saying here? Well, Jesus was saying that he was constantly on the move, that he had no permanent place to stay. It's often taught that Jesus did not have a place to lay his head because he was poor, and furthermore, that being poor is a blessing. 
Both teachings would be in error. Jesus was not poor, and when the scripture is properly translated, there's no indication that a person is blessed just because he's poor. The Bible constantly admonishes people to use wisdom with their money for the very reason that being poor makes life difficult. You know, what Paige shared this morning about the people that she was with, it's difficult. It's a difficult situation. It's not a blessing. Money is called in the Bible a shelter or a defense or a protection. Everyone knows that many of life's problems can be solved with a little money. Furthermore, the Bible says a wise person has treasure and oil in their house. They were not just getting along, according to Proverbs. We're to have money to give to those in need, according to the book of Ephesians. Also, Proverbs tells us the wise man leaves enough inheritance that even his grandchildren get a share. Okay, so if that's not the meaning, what is the meaning? The meaning of Jesus' answer in Luke 9 and Matthew 8 it's, it's not immediately apparent because he doesn't give the man a yes or no answer. By the way, Matthew says the expert, this man who came to him, Matthew describes him as an expert in the law. He was a, uh, what, what some of the versions would say he would be a scribe. So, and, and he says, I'm going to follow you wherever, you wherever you want, wherever you go. Now, that sounds good. It sounds sincere. But was the lawyer really prepared for Jesus' lifestyle? Maybe, but maybe not. Typically in that culture, an expert in the law would have a home, a family. Um, They would have a home synagogue. They would have a circle of influence where he could teach and help people understand the scriptures they were reading. This certain expert in the law must have been so impressed by Jesus' teaching that he felt like he was ready to follow Jesus Anywhere. He was just ready to go anywhere he went. But was he really ready to move, to be on the move day after day away from his family and his circle of influence? This was a decision the man would have to make. It's important to notice Jesus didn't say yes or no to the man's request, but he simply pointed out the kind of lifestyle the man would be getting himself into. After that, the man would have to make his own choice. And the Bible never tells us what choice he made. He may have been dissuaded by Jesus' answer and gone back home, or it may have crystallized his resolve so that he set out as a follower of Jesus. The Bible doesn't say, and so we don't know. But there's a great lesson in Jesus' answer and in the fact that the Bible does not tell us what happened to the man and the choice he made. The choice of whether to actively follow Jesus from place to place or to be a follower of Jesus back at his home by repeating the teachings of Jesus and imitating his ways was this man's choice to make. Both of them were good choices. The only bad choice would be to forget Jesus and return back both to his old home and his old ways before he met Jesus. So in this incident, God, by not elevating one good choice over another, validates the ministries of all people who follow Jesus. So whether they are are at home, you know, in what would be a more comfortable setting, it would seem, or whether they're traveling in a missionary lifestyle that would seem more challenging, the important point is that God calls us to serve. 
but often where and how we serve is our choice, and it blesses God no matter what we choose. Every person has a unique calling from God, and no calling is more honorable to God than another. We people, humans, we often elevate one type of calling over another, but God, to God, serving him is honorable no matter how he has chosen or called us to serve. Sometimes the only bad choice we can make is to not serve him at all. That's the first man. Okay, so the second man, another, he said to another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, allow me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now that's odd. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. So what's that all about? Well, first of all, that's a figure of speech. The Bible has a lot of these. This is a figure. It's a Greek figure. It's a big, long Greek word. doesn't matter to you. But it's a Greek word, and what it means is, uh, word clashing. This is word clashing, and it's when a word is used in a sentence or phrase with two different meanings. So the first use of dead, in this case, refers to those who are spiritually dead but physically alive, while the second use of dead refers to being physically dead. Okay, so he says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Leave the town, some versions have, leave the, let the town bury their own dead. Now, First of all, that answer sounds a little bit harsh, right? In fact, some critics say that that was um, uh, the statement uh, was added to the Bible, uh, that it wasn't in the original, but that's just simply not the case. Generally, when scribes were trying to change the original, they weren't making it more difficult or more harsh. They were trying to make it less harsh. So what it, it sounds harsh, But remember, Jesus is all love. Jesus knows the hearts of all people. So what is it that he's saying? Well, under the circumstances, it was the honest reply the man needed to hear if he was going to follow Jesus. So to understand Jesus' answer and the request, we first have to realize that when the man said, let me go and bury my father, it's very, very likely that his father was not only not dead, it was very likely that his father was not even sick. His father wasn't sick. He just said, let me go bury my father. In other words, one day, when he finally gets sick and dies, he's basically postponing following Jesus. So in the biblical culture, people were buried generally the same day because there was no way to preserve the body. If the man's father had been dead at the time, well, the man would have been home burying his father and not walking on the the road with Jesus. So... Because people were buried the same day they died, if a family member or a relative or a friend was away from home and traveling in the biblical culture when someone died, it might be some time before the traveler could be reached, and then it would be even longer before he could make it back home. So it would make it unlikely that the traveler would make it home for the funeral. Also, particularly in the culture of the time and still today, sickness and death can occur unexpectedly and quickly, like appendicitis or infection or some kind of accident, things like that. So the disciple was telling Jesus he was not comfortable leaving his father before his father died, whenever that might be, and that, and that after that he would follow Jesus. Now, Jesus knew something that the man did not know, 
that his ministry would be short. From all indications, these are, rec- I mean, traditionally, we say Jesus' entire ministry was about three years. Many scholars contend even shorter than that time. This particular time of this incident could have been well within six months to a year of Jesus' death. There's a short time period here. And what he's saying, if the man waited at home for his father to one day get old and get sick and die, he would likely miss Jesus' ministry entirely, and he would lose his chance to be the kind of disciple in a meaningful way that apparently this man desired. So the man expressed an interest in following Jesus, but he wanted it to be convenient when all his family affairs were concluded and his responsibility at home, to be at home when his father's funeral was over. Jesus, in saying what he did, shows us that following him will not always be tidy or convenient. Sometimes it requires sacrifice. Jesus' answer should be very instructive to people who are torn between what they perceive to be their family and community responsibilities and what the Lord asks or requires of them. Now, surely there are people who wrongfully neglect family responsibilities for the work of the Lord. But on the other hand, there are many people who should learn to say no to things they're asked to do to appease others when it keeps them from doing what they really need to be doing for the Lord. When it comes to our time, saying yes is one thing, is, to one thing is always saying no to another. We need to be wise with our time and our choices and be willing to make tough choices for the Lord. Jesus, just as Jesus made a choice between his family and his followers, which he clearly did, he asked us to do the same. If this particular father loved his son, he would understand that following Jesus was a call of God and came with the risk of not being present when the father died. Okay, so we have a third man. The third man said, I will follow you, but let me first say goodbye to those who are in my house. Well, that seems like a reasonable request. It seems to be an innocent request, but, but we can tell by Jesus' statement that there's more to it. There's something more here. So what is it? Well, in the biblical culture, for one thing, leaving a family in the biblical time period, it was emotional and it was drawn out. It would take time. Remember, no cell phones. Uh, Generally, when you left your family in that culture, you would not hear or see them again until they returned. That could be weeks or months or whatever. So without reliable communication, it's likely there would be no communication between a person and the family until they returned. So families took a long time to say goodbye. You might remember when, uh, and there are many examples of this in the Bible, when Abraham's servant wanted to take Rebecca from her home to marry Isaac, her parents asked to let her stay with them for 10 days. They spent 10 days saying goodbye. Now, my wife Pam would love that. She would love that it would take 10 days to say goodbye whenever our kids come and go. But anyway, so this, is, this was, it was customary in the Bible times that greeting people and saying goodbye would take a very long time. Do you remember when Jesus said, when he, when he uh, sent out his disciples to evangelize, he told them not to greet anyone along the way? It's the same thing, because it just took them a long time to say their hellos and their goodbyes. Okay, 
Now, so that's one thing. The other thing is, it's always possible that the family would put so much pressure on this man that he would not leave his home at all. He would return and he would not follow Jesus at all. The family would plead for the man to stay, and the man may have given in to that pressure. So that, in part, accounts for Jesus' response. So here's, what's his response? His response is, no one who's put his hand to the plow and yet continues to look behind him is well-suited for the kingdom. Well, what is that all about? Put his hand to the plow. Now, in the biblical time and culture, that was very accommodating because biblical plows were single plows. It was basically a, a, a stick. It was a straight plow with a little plow blade on it. If you had the money, it might have been made of metal, bronze, or something like that. But if you didn't have that, it was just wood. And it just basically would dig the dirt, you know, dig the dirt, the furrow of the dirt. Uh, it would scratch the ground. And the plow was fastened to the oxen by straps or cords to the yoke. So it literally could be held in a hand. So the plow was light and it could be held in one hand. And the other hand, in the biblical time, was placed the goad. That's another story for another day. Anyway, so it says here, he put his hand, no man has put his hand to the plow and continues to look back. Now, in reality, no one in that culture is going to plow forward and look back, right? I mean, the reason they're looking, the, the, the plow is, the oxen are here, then the plow, then the person plowing. The whole purpose is to plow in a straight line. And in reality, no one would look back because then they wouldn't be able to plow in a straight line. But what Jesus was saying made sense to the people. They could identify it with the feeling of not wanting to be plowing on that particular day. One of the things to know about uh, the biblical to Israel, they had a dry season and a rainy season. The dry season started around April and it was dry through around October. Maybe we've taken on some of Israel's weather this year. I don't know. But by the end of the dry season, the ground would be baked so hard that it could not be plowed. It would be very, very difficult. So they would have to wait for the rains, what the Bible calls the former rains, which would come in the fall. The rains would soften the field, and then they could plow. So what that would mean, it often occurred that people, men would be plowing. They'd end up plowing in the rain. Okay, so... Obviously, plowing in the rain and cold was not fun, and so more than one farmer would certainly have looked back at his house and wished that he were back there where it was warm and dry rather than being cold and wet and plowing. Get the picture? So this is the picture Jesus is saying, and he says if he continues to look back, no man who puts his hand to the plow but continues to look back is well-suited to the kingdom of God. Well suited. Why is that? Because every person, if they're going to live a godly life, has to fight against looking back. Why do we have to fight? Well, we have to fight against sin nature, the fallen nature of the world, the forces of evil of the world. By the way, before the day of Pentecost, getting saved took effort, and it didn't happen by chance. Now, it's much easier since the day of Pentecost for that to happen. But no one accidentally stumbles into being saved and working for rewards in the kingdom of God. In fact, there's a verse in Matthew that states, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, 
and forceful people are seizing it as a prize. There is so much working against being godly in this life that it often takes forceful. We have to decide to do the things of God. A person who is like the man plowing in Jesus' illustration, who is plowing forward but also constantly looking behind, backward at the world, will just not do a good job plowing. They're double-minded. They're double-hearted. They want some of the things of the kingdom, but still being attached to the things of this life. This person, Jesus is saying, is not well-suited for the kingdom of God because he will not do well fighting sin nature and the forces of evil that come against him. Jesus Christ himself was the best example of what it takes to be well-suited for the kingdom. He was focused on doing the will of God and was willing to not only say, but to live out, not my will, but thine be done. People cannot afford to be attached to the world while trying to be attached to the things of God. God and the world are opposites. That's why the Bible says, do you not know that the friendship with the world is hostility with God? Neither can people be wishy-washy when it comes to doing the will of God, uh, trying to please God without offending the world. Jesus Christ was a rock of offense in the world because he will bring an end and its ways to an end. There are things that can seem attractive and exciting about the world and its ways, which is why so many people are caught up in sin. But the godly person knows how those things can destroy one's relationship with God and avoids them. The godly person puts his hand to the plow and does what it takes within his mind and heart to not spend time looking back at the world. This was the message to those three men. This were, these were the difficult decisions. The Bible doesn't tell us what they did. It simply tells us what Jesus gave them so that they could make a choice to follow him as they could. Well, what about us? How does that relate to us? In the book of Philippians, there are the verses that Carrie read this morning. I'll read just a portion of them. But this is what's written to us in terms of making these decisions. It says, brothers, I do not consider myself as having grasped it yet. I am not there. I haven't arrived. I've got a long way to go and a lot of shortcomings. But one thing I do, letting go of the things that are behind and straining forward to the things that are before, I press toward the goal to win the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's beautiful because he says, one thing I do. Now he mentions two, but it says one thing. The one thing, letting go of the things that are behind. Letting go. The Greek word, it's neglect. It can either be forget or neglect. Some things in the past are very difficult to forget, but we can let them go. That we can let them go. Like the things of looking behind in the earth. We all have them. What we're, exhort, we're encouraged to do is to let go of the things that are behind. And then it says to strain forward, to reach forth unto those things which are before, to put forth effort in the things that we're looking forward. In the Mouse Report this morning, it talked about goals, setting a goal and pushing forward. Well, the highest goal that Paul talks about here in Philippians, he says, I press toward the goal to win the prize of the high calling of God in connection with Christ Jesus. Everyone has a calling. 
Everyone has a ministry. Everyone is called to serve. Would there be no higher calling than to push forward in the calling that God has given us to serve in the capacity, to serve him in the capacity that he has given us? And he says then, so then, as many of us as are mature, if we are mature Christian, as many of us as are mature must think this way, and if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that to you. That's the encouragement that we are given. Let's talk about an easy decision and then the difficult decision. Here's an easy decision. First of all, this is telling us that when we make Christ our Lord, we are supposed to follow his directives. That's part of making him Lord. So here's an easy decision. If you have not made Christ your Lord, if you're not saved, what's the, this is not a difficult decision. This is a simple decision. This is an easy decision. To live forever with God, have a new body, live in a new heaven and earth. This is a wonderful decision. If you, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If that's a decision that you haven't made, that's one you can make today, now, here, and be saved and live forever with God. That's a simple decision. It's not a toughie. The difficult decision is once we make Christ our Lord is the daily decision to follow him, to follow his calling. Like Jesus encouraged the three men on the road, we walking in our road are encouraged to make the daily decisions to follow him and glorify him in all we do. Thank you. I love the way you paint pictures. I love the way you make biblical times seem sensible to us. I love the way that you remind us that everybody has a calling, and I love that you share so bountifully the fruits of what is clearly your calling to live out your life with each of those daily difficult decisions and to teach. And this is an advertisement. If you like this, he does a Bible study with Pam in their home Mondays through the academic year at 7 o'clock at night, and please, please, please enjoy more of this wisdom that you share with us. Thank you, Jeff. Wonderful. Much appreciated. Recognizing that God is gracious to us, let us return those gifts to God, dedicating them even with this printed prayer. O God, you cast your mantle upon us and mark us for ministry in Christ's name. We come before you with our tithes and offerings. We shall put on your cloak of righteousness as a sign to the nations of how you redeem all people. We shall carry the cross of salvation to the far corners of the globe. Accept these gifts as tokens of our commitment and bless our endeavors as we serve you in Christ's name. Amen.
Please be seated, friends. Well, friends, we have a number of great celebrations today that we get to lift up. Lots of birthdays, but first let's talk about the brand new births. Felicity Joy Irwin was born born earlier this week. You all have seen Kristen very, very pregnant here with Will. And yes, this baby was a few weeks early, but she is beautiful, and she's named for her grandmother, as you can tell, and uh, all are doing well in her home. And Norma and Dick Ryther want to share the good news of their newest granddaughter, Amelia Rose Davidson, born on July 14th to Susie and husband Josh Davidson. So congratulations, Rythers, for your expanded group of, of young ladies that you get to go visit. How much fun is that? And there are other birthdays today. Um, Maddie Lake celebrated her birthday earlier this week. She turned seven. Her dad, Matt Lake, turns his birthday today. I'm not going to tell you how old he is. Kelly Deedle has her birthday today, and so does my very own, our very own Rachel Mitchell has her birthday today. The Kenya team arrived safely. We've been getting texts from Ron. Martha, what do you know from Bruce? Excellent. Can't wait for the great family reunion for Bev and Ron and Adam. That's going to be wonderful, and we're delighted that everybody's safe in these travels. Um, as we're speaking about travels, I want you to be aware that if you see people walking around looking at their phones, that you should give them a wide berth because they're hunting for Pokemon, and they're not paying attention to anything else around them. And if you had a chance to do that, we will continue to drop lure on announced times around the church. We did that on Friday. We had a number of visitors come to the church and pay attention to look for Pokemon. So it's been great fun. Pokemon, friends, if you haven't had a chance to find out about it, go Google it. It'll give you more detail. But I want you to know that there is a biblical tie-in, at least I like to read into that this way, in that if you look at Ephesians, we're all meant to be building up the body of Christ. Those Pokemon characters, when they are caught by their trainers, the trainer's goal is to build up those Pokemon characters so that they can do battle against the forces of evil, but do it together. So build up in the body of Christ and watch out for people walking around with their screens, their faces and their screens. As you know, we're praying for our Trienium team. Um, we have good news that Ann Gardner has come through rotator cuff surgery three, three weeks ago and is back to her own ministries. John Barnes has been in and out of, the, uh, out of Rochester General and his um, heart is strong enough for him to be home again, but please keep him in your prayers. We also have a continuing prayer for Phil Tinder. And Kim, I'm so glad that Philip and Michael were able to make it yesterday and that you had great family reunion at Aaron Manor. And we're thankful that you could come and listen to Harold and allow your soul to be soothed in that. We pray for you and for Phil in this transition of trust. We're in prayer also for our nation. And we think about the many things that have been going on um, throughout the world. We pray for those who were victimized in Nice for the Bastille Day massacre. We pray for those who experienced the foiled coup in Turkey. And we are thankful for those who are able to return home safely from those adventures. We're also praying for, on behalf of the McAuliffe's, giving thanks for um, a full-time teaching job for your daughter at East High. That is great. And Diane Brown, I want to 
lift up your prayer and empathize with your entire family. Diane Brown's sister, Eileen Schuett, we're praying for her family and for for ours because her son, Eric, took his life this past week suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder following years of service for our country in Afghanistan. We know, friends, unfortunately, that these awful things happen around the world. And we know that each of us is called, as Jeff so beautifully taught us today, to different forms of ministry. And sometimes those things seem to push us beyond our limits. May we press on, Lord, for the goal of Christ. May we press on together to help one another, to strengthen one another, to build one another up in the body of Christ. And weep when we need to weep, but also rejoice with those who have things over which we can rejoice. Please, friends, join me in prayer. Author and finisher of our faith, you have set our feet firmly on your loving foundation. We praise you and give you thanks. Scripture recounts your covenant promise that you will be our God and we your people. Draw us into a right relationship with you and with our neighbor. Help us to stand fast by your spirit and not abuse your trust. And we do pray for neighbors both near and far. Give an extraordinary sense of your delivering power to those who live in peril for your sake and those who mourn those who have made the ultimate sacrifice. Lift from all of our shoulders heavy care, but remind us to press on. Set us on the path of love's journey, and we shall praise your triune names, even as you teach us to pray.
Friends, I'm going to encourage us to sing Ferris Lord Jesus first and last verse. First and last verse. <laughs> 